Good morning, Ohayo gozaimasu. Can you say that? Ohayo gozaimasu. <laughs> Good to see you guys. We're excited to be here. I'm going to say that a hundred times, but that's okay. Um, open your Bibles, please, to Acts chapter 14. I think it's really interesting. The Lord's always got a sense of humor because Pastor Albert asked me to speak this morning. And shortly after that, I was thinking, 1 Peter chapter 1, that would be good because we've been in it for a while there. But then I looked through and saw that he's kicking off a First Peter sermon series at the end of the month, and he would not be happy if I launched that today instead of him. <laughs> so I didn't want to steal all of his you know, preparation time and material that he'll bring in a few weeks. So <laughs> no First Peter chapter 1 today. We're looking at Acts chapter 14. And this is exciting because this is the record of the first mission trip that we have essentially in the scriptures. And it's a part of the journal of the whole book of Acts. And, you know, the book of Acts covers a whole 30 year period. And we know that so much of it lands on Paul and focuses in on him. But there's just so much in these 28 chapters so much it's filled with the adventures of the early church of that first century group of christians and i'm excited about it because it talks about the journey that they were on bringing the gospel for the first time really out of israel and then they take it into all the parts of the world beginning with the regions of greece and turkey you know and so we're all really indebted to what they were doing at this time in the scriptures you know just over 2000 years ago and you know here we are an international multi-ethnic maybe multicultural multilingual group of people in this room and and really it's like this in so many places around the world and so we get to kind of go all the way back in history to see what they were doing in launching the gospel on this first mission trip so earlier a gentleman in your fellowship said are you really covering the whole chapter and i said yes so set your timers we'll be done in about three hours you know we brought snacks i'll throw them out i'm teasing no we're going to cover it all it'll be in a reasonable about a time even under an hour for sure but yes we want to cover the whole thing let me pray over it before we get going lord we thank you for your presence here we thank you for your holy spirit who is our counselor our comforter our helper lord you are our teacher and we ask you to teach us by your holy spirit would you please give us understanding would you apply these lessons to our lives that we would be changed we would be more like you when we leave than when we arrived here that we would draw closer to you and go deeper with you now than last year and that we can all move forward in you by your Holy Spirit. So please bless this time this morning in your word. We thank you in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, here in chapter 14, verse 1, it says, At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. So Paul and his team, their MO, as they got into these new towns, new cities, they would immediately look for where those Jewish men were meeting together because the tradition at that time was wherever there were 10 or more Jewish men in a town, they were able to start a synagogue. That was their tradition and their custom at that time. 
And so, you know, Paul, he's such a deep thinker. He's such an intellectual. He's so gifted in so many ways. He realized that as he went into these new places, that if he would start with the Jewish people there because they honored the Old Testament scriptures and they had that as their foundation, he knew he would be two steps ahead. He would have a head start for the gospel if he could start that way. And he does that again and again whenever he can, wherever they go. And so we see it in this place here. It says, there they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed. Now, we know it wasn't because of his crafty speech, his well-crafted message, his outline. We know it's the Holy Spirit. And you have to understand that's the common thread that goes through all of the book of Acts, is that there is no substitute for the Holy Spirit the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And also the second key to the whole book of Acts is a dependency on the Holy Spirit. And that's what they have in this place at this time. And so a large number of people believe in the gospel of Jesus. Verse two, but the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. And this was happening with Paul and his team as they moved along. There were a group of very legalistic Jews that would follow them around, that would come in behind them wherever a church had been planted, where the seed was sown and people responded and life sprang up, new life, a new beginning. And these people in their state of being born again were being changed. And that was troubling to some of the Jewish religious leaders. It threatened their livelihood. They were afraid that the money that they were making off of religion would dry up. They were afraid that the power would be taken from them. All of that was a threat to them. So they were stirring people up and putting seeds of doubt and disbelief and all kinds of things into the minds of the people. That's what it's talking about in verse 2 there. In the next verse, so Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to do miraculous signs and wonders. Notice in verse 3 that we see that Paul he was ready to stop. He was ready to pause whenever the Lord told them they needed to stop and stay in a place. And so one of the lessons that we learn from that through this is sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. We all need to be sensitive to his Holy Spirit in what we're doing. If we're excited, if we're passionate, you know, sometimes we're like, yeah, let's just get out there and do this, do that. But others say, wait, no, let's spend more time in prayer prior to getting out there and doing this or that. And it's important as we follow Christ that we're tuned into his Holy Spirit, that we're sensitive to his spirit, listening and saying, when should we stop? When should we go slow? Or when do we go fast and full steam ahead, just dive into things? We need to be tuned into him. And we see that with Paul. We see that with Barnabas here so that they stay in that place. 
The one thing I want to mention in this is that during Paul's time on this first mission, the area, the region of the world that they were in, it was called Galatia, and it covered a large area, multiple countries within the region. And earlier in, I think it was chapter 13, they were in the lower lands, the lower areas of that part of the world. And one of the things is that it's a very warm, wet kind of climate. It's very nice for mosquitoes. How many of you like mosquitoes? No, no one has a pet mosquito, mosquito farm. We hate mosquitoes, don't we? <laughs> It seems like in our summers, we have hot, humid summers in Japan, and they just start to come out, and they just love to eat on us for a couple months. We're constantly fighting them. I hate those things. And they carry disease. And we know that in recent years, what is it, West Nile? West Nile virus, I've heard of in the news here in the U.S. You know, so that's a concern. And then you have the classic malaria. So what happened in Paul's life, it's believed, is that at the time he was on this first mission in the lowlands of Galatia, that he came into contact, probably through mosquitoes, with what was called malaria fever, which causes, you know, just severe eye problems, drainage of the eyes, and that was probably the thing that he refers to as you look in the different places. He talks about in Galatians 4, about how the people just poured out their love on him and supported him physically as if, you know, Jesus, our Lord himself, were there with them. They were so loving and caring in his physical illness and his condition. And he also talks about, oh, what, you know, large letters I write. And so it's believed that, you know, his eyesight, vision was impacted and caused him trouble. You know, then he talks about the thorn in his side, right? He talks about praying that that would be taken away from him. Three times he asks the Lord and the Lord says, you know what? My grace is sufficient for you. I have enough grace to carry you in your illness. And so many scholars believe that it was on that mission right here that he came into contact with that and it would be something that would, in a sense, cause him to limp along, but he would find his strength in the grace of the Lord. And so I just mention that because he's a man whose life was marked by grace. And sometimes we have things that we suffer. There are things that hold us back, that slow us down. We have physical problems sometimes, and all of that just causes a dependency upon the Lord. It keeps us close to Him, keeps us dependent upon Him. And so an encouragement to you, if you're suffering through an illness, maybe you have a terminal illness, maybe someone here has been diagnosed with something that may seem incurable, and we can say, why, why, it's not fair, it's this, it's that. And the Lord just wants to say, my grace is sufficient for you and he wants us to learn to depend on him cling to him draw close and we can even be used by him you know some of the people that have been used by the lord in the greatest ways have been in their sick bed or perhaps even on their deathbed and it looks like what kind of a mission is that but the lord says that is an incredible work and a mission that can be done even in those places by the consistent prayers that happen and the encouragement to the people that are physically strong looking on that kind of situation.
So here we see Paul just pausing to build them up by the power of God's spirit. What's he do? He works signs and wonders through them. And we have to say when we see that, what are signs and wonders? What are wonders? Well, here's a deep, deep answer for you. They're things that make you wonder. That's what they are. That's what wonders are, aren't they? What do you wonder about? Well, it would, by the Holy Spirit, cause people to wonder about the existence of God, to wonder, what are we here for? What is life all about? The purpose of this crazy thing called life. And on and on, to cause someone to wonder in such a way that they would be drawn to the Lord and to understand that he created them for a purpose, that he loves them. And so we also see signs mentioned. What are signs for? Direction. They lead us somewhere. That's what signs do. Now, when I first moved to Tokyo, I was shocked. There are no street names there. No one goes by street names. If you want to find something there, and in most of Japan, it's, okay, you go down to the post office. You turn left there. Then you see the 7-Eleven on the right. You keep on going, you see. And then you turn at the gasoline station. And so that's how it is. And, you know, they still use fax machines. Even in their homes, everyone has a fax machine. So you can draw this out real quick and fax it to your friend how to get there. <laughs> So, signs lead us to someone, to some place, somewhere. The signs here were to lead people to Christ. That's what the signs and the wonders are for. Sometimes in the Christian world today, people get sidetracked and they become too focused on signs and wonders. So that it's not a love and a passion for the Lord Jesus. It's a love and a passion for signs and wonders. More signs, more wonders. And, you know, Jesus even said to the people, he corrected them and said, you know, you want a sign or a wonder, but you don't want the one that they lead to. And that is to him, he was saying, you know, they're not interested in a life devoted to the Lord Jesus. They're interested in a life that's about signs and wonders. So we have to be careful. And the reason that they were being used was to lead the non-believing person into an understanding of a creator God that loves them and his plan for salvation through Jesus. So that's what these miraculous signs are for. And we believe they happen still today. We see them still today. People are still being led to the Lord through them. And that's the purpose of it. It's not, you know, to see Jesus's image on a sandwich so it can be sold on eBay. This is true, right? In the news some years back. Or an image of, you know, the Virgin Mary on your garage door. And people come from all over the world to see it. And these type of things are stigmata on the palms, the bleeding palms of Jesus. Have you seen these things, heard of these things? Sometimes these are the types of signs and wonders we hear of, but do they lead to the Lord Jesus? That's the purpose of it. In verse 4, the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. They come in and now they've caused a fight. <laughs> people are taking sides. In Japan, we would just settle it, you know? Janken, we call it. Rock, paper, scissors. You call it rock, paper, scissors. We call it janken. 
Jankin. But the Lord is going to step in and he has to settle this division that's happening. And it says there was a plot afoot among the Gentiles and Jews together with their leaders to mistreat them and stone them. But they found out about it and fled to the Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding country where they continued to preach the good news. Well, in verses 5 and 6 and 7, these verses here, we see that Paul and his team are experiencing adversity. There's this conflict. The Lord's worked through them, but yet they are not finished with what they're supposed to do. The people come after them with rocks and they want to stone them. Now we can look at these verses and say, well, they seem like cowards now. I thought the theme of the chapter was courage as I see it. Where's their courage here? But it's not a lack of courage. It's not that they become cowards in this section, in this situation. It's that, again, they're dependent upon the Holy Spirit. They're sensitive to the Holy Spirit. They're tuned into him. And he is telling them in their hearts, it's time to go. It's time to get out of here. And we have to also understand that in our lives. There are those times when it's time to go. Maybe you've been sharing with a family member or a friend. You've tried to reach them with the gospel of Jesus. And they put up a wall. They don't want to hear it. You have been in conversation with them for a long time. And they have just said that I don't want to hear any more of it. I don't believe what you believe. I'm opposed to what you're talking. You know, and they just resist. I believe there are times finally when the Lord will say, you know, you just let them go. Keep praying for them but no more time spent on them, no more time being wasted. Perhaps it's time to now move on to the next person or to the next place. And we have to understand there is that time, sometimes it comes. In this situation, they're being threatened, their very lives are being threatened. Well, we saw Jesus's life threatened, didn't we? Do you remember the times when they came after him with stones? He didn't stand there and give in to them because he knew the timing wasn't right. The spirit was telling him, go, it's not the right time yet. And so he ran from them. He wasn't being a chicken or a coward. <laughs> Jesus was being wise until the time of the cross when he knew that was his time. There's a time to run. That's what I'm trying to say here. That's the application of these verses here. There's a time to run. Be smart, be wise. We want to keep being used by the Lord. We got to go. And it says, you know, they went on to the next places, though, and they continued to preach the good news. And so we see that they weren't cowards. They had courage. And so we learned that lesson from them. If you're taking notes, I don't want to spend the time, but I want you to mark down and look up Matthew chapter 10, verses 11 to 14 later, because that's where Jesus talks about that going into a town and on mission to bring the gospel. And he's saying that, you know, if they don't receive you after some time, you shake off the dust and you say, my hands are clean and I'm moving on. And so that's in Matthew 10, verses 11 to 14. Verse 8, in Lystra there sat a man crippled in his feet who was lame from birth and had never walked. This man was an adult, we know. He's called a man and he could be anywhere from the age of 20 on up. And so he has never walked before. We saw this same scene earlier in the book of Acts when Peter and John went to the steps on their way to the temple to pray. Remember that? And there was a man 
who was lame, not able to walk, who begged on the steps of the temple. And here we see the same scene, this time with Paul. And he listens, the man listens to Paul as he's speaking. Paul looked directly at him. Remember Peter did that. Peter looked at that man. He locked eyes with him. Paul looks at this guy. He locks eyes with him. And he saw that he had the faith to be healed and called out, stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. This is great. It's a new beginning for this guy. He's healed. He's able to walk. He can stand on his own feet and move without people having to carry him around. Imagine being carried around all of your life up to this point. Imagine depending on people for everything all the days of your life up to this point. There were not social welfare programs and services in place at that time. Any help came from people that were around a person like this. And now, for the first time, by the touch of God, he is given his strength in his legs, able to walk. And I want us to notice here the gifts of the Holy Spirit that are in action, in operation, in just this section of the chapter. There are multiple gifts of the Holy Spirit in operation right here. We see that, first of all, that Paul, he's receiving a, a word of wisdom or of knowledge. He doesn't know this guy. It's the first time that he's seen him. Yet by the Spirit, he knows there's something going on here and that this guy has faith. And we need to be tuned in to the Spirit so that we can receive these types of word of wisdom, something that we can't get by our own background, training, skills, talents. It comes by the Holy Spirit. Also, knowledge. He didn't know these things about the guy. He doesn't know that he has faith. The Holy Spirit says, Paul, this guy has the faith to be healed. He speaks it to his heart. So when you're going about your day in your job place or in your community where you shop or where you play or wherever it is, to always be in prayer, Lord, is there anything I can do here? Is there anything that I need to know here about this person? some wisdom, some knowledge, and to believe that he will give that and he will do it. Paul was doing that. All right, we see a gift of faith in the man who is being touched here. He, he doesn't have faith in it by his own strength and ability, but by the Holy Spirit, he has the faith to be healed, believing that God has the power, can do this, will do this. He's in that kind of a spot. And the man mentions the faith to be healed. One thing that we have to understand is that the scriptures talk about regarding healing in the gifts is gifts of healings is the language that is used. Gifts of healings. We notice that it doesn't say gifts of healing or gift of healer, but the wording is very specific, gifts of healings, so that we are to understand that whenever there's a healing by God in a person's life, that gift is given to the person that's healed, the person that's touched. It's not me that goes up to the person to praise for them. And then, wow, he must be a healer. Jeremiah's a healer. No, I'm not. I'm just simply praying a prayer of faith. And if a person's healed as you pray a prayer of faith, they're the one who have received the gift. They are receiving the gift of the healing. 
from the Lord. And so it's not for us to set up our big, you know, healer ministry. We didn't see Peter and John healing ministry. Come one, come all. And, you know, we didn't see that. And here's Paul. He does this. And Paul didn't say, wow, I'm a healer. I've got the gift of being a healer. And line up. And, you know, we don't see them ever do that, do we? Because they understand that it's by the power of God. It's his spirit working through them. The power of the Holy Spirit through a person. And so we have to be sure not to misunderstand how his Holy Spirit works. And so in this, these operations of his Holy Spirit, the man's life is changed. Now it says, when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language. How many of you speak Lyconian? Nobody, okay. <laughs> I don't know what it sounds like and maybe we'll start some lessons next week. But here's the translation. The gods have come down to us in human form. Wow. There's Paul, there's Barnabas and the others in the group. And they're saying the gods have come down to us in human form. Now I want you just to stop for a second and think about if you just pulled into some strange new town and these things had happened and now the people, all the people are gathered around they're saying that about you. Would you be tempted to uh, for a second go, yeah, you got that right. The other day I saw a guy's t-shirt at a restaurant and it said something like, why be a king when you can be a god? I have no idea what that meant. I wasn't close enough to do the follow-up, but <laughs> why be a king when you can be a god? So this guy thought he was a god? I don't know. It says Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. All right, so they're just getting all kinds of favor here in this town. One of the things that they believed in that culture was because of Greek mythology, which then was adopted by the Romans and became the Roman mythology, and many of you have studied this, one of the myths that they had and they believed at that time was that Zeus and Hermes, earlier in their history, had come in disguise to a place. And they had gone from home to home seeking hospitality. You know, hey, every god wants a good meal and some comfort. Well, they went through a thousand homes without anybody opening up their home to them to offer a good meal or any hospitality. What kind of people are these? Well, as you can imagine, they became very angry and upset with those thousand homes they visited and didn't get anything out of. Well, they came to the home of some very old couple in a shack, and these people were the only ones that offered them the hospitality of a meal in their home. And so they just, of course, destroyed the other thousand homes. And they turned in this one little shack into this great palace. And it became this temple, the priest of Zeus. And so that's what they believe. That's the background of this. And so this temple was just outside of their city. And this priest comes. And they're beginning to bow down to Barnabas and to Paul here. But look at verse 14. When the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd shouting, Men, why are you doing this? We too are only men, human like you. You have to go, wait a minute. 
Paul, Barnabas, what are you guys doing? They are getting ready to give you the biggest, best barbecue party you've ever had. And not only that, they're going to give you prizes and gifts. Wouldn't you be tempted, maybe? Everyone's cheering for you. Yeah, you must be a god, and, and we're bringing it all to you. Now, how does this relate to us? How can this apply to us? There are times when a person is called out into the mission field, into a foreign place or wherever their mission is, and you get there and you're focused and you're doing what the Lord's called you to, but over time we can begin to drift. I know this was a temptation for me, that's why I'm sharing it. When we were in Tokyo, Tokyo is a massive, massive modern metropolitan city with all the things you could ever imagine being in a place. And if we weren't careful, we began to get, you know, just kind of sidetracked with the shopping and the eating and the living and the fun. And there were times where I'd go, wait, wait, okay, I've got to pull back. We've got, you know, to refocus here. What are we called here to do? And I think that's a temptation that you all face and I face. We face that. We want to live for the Lord. We want to be passionate about the mission, about the gospel message and everything. But we can get so caught up with all the things that are around us and lose our way, lose track of what's important and go off the rails. And this is a temptation for them. They could have gone off the rails here and just soaked it up. But they're mature and they're focused and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And they don't give in to what their flesh might be wanting to do. They do what the Spirit wants them to do. You need to see that right there. And so they, in their passion, tear their clothes, which is a sign in the Jewish culture of just their heart being torn inside. Just, no! And so on the outside, they show it by tearing them. And they rush out and they're saying, why are you doing this? We're just men. We're just like you. You know, and they're not going, yeah, you got it right. I mean, we're not gods, but you know, we're really important missionaries. You know, or you can just call me Rev. <laughs> call me Rev. You know, we got our posse. We have, you know, our entourage. We, none of that. Do you know who I am? I mean, serious, there can be ministries like that in the U.S. and around the world. There can be pastors. There can be leaders like that. I've seen it. I know who's out there. I know what they're doing, you know? And it's all about them. And they're just humbling themselves, saying, it's not about us, you guys. We're just like you. He says, why are you doing this? We're men. We're human like you. We're bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them. And so he just turns it in an instant. You see that? He turns the spotlight off of themselves and he puts it on the creator of the heavens and the earth, the Lord of the universe, and how we need to see that and learn that from them. We've always got to keep the spotlight on Jesus. Keep it on the Lord. That will be the challenge for a church always. Is it going to be about them or are we going to keep it about the Lord again and again? The spotlight. He's the feature. He's the attraction. It's all about him, not the man in the pulpit or other people, a part of the church there. And so we learn a good lesson from them there. And he begins to just take it all the way back to the creation point, the living God who made all things. See how he takes it all the way back to Genesis? 
And we've seen that in Japan as we've gone through the 11 years of ministry and mission there that you can't go with a message to a person there of, hey, you are a sinner in need of a savior. You're a sinner in need of a savior. We can't start there with them. And that's becoming more true here in the US. There is zero foundation for many people. Long time back in the US, yes, there was a foundation. They had the 10 commandments at least. They knew something. They had visited a church before with grandma. You know, that kind of stuff. We don't have that advantage very much now. We have to take it all the way back to there is a creator, right? Behind every creation is a creator. Behind every design is a designer. And that people have been made, they've been created. This is even deeper than intelligent design stuff. This is that there is a God who exists, a designer, a perfect creator who made us and everything in the world. And all of it every day, we look in Psalm 19, read Psalm 19 and you see that all of creation is like a billboard that's on all day, every day, that's saying there is a God, there is a God, there is a God. We look up at the trees, we look at the ocean, we look at the sunset, we look at that massive moon last night, and you're just like, there is a God, there is a God, that's what it's all saying. And so he points them, and he says, in the past, he let all nations go their own way. He gave them free will, a choice to receive him and to come toward him, or that they could turn away and run, and they have rejected him. He says, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. So there he's kind of trying to connect with some of the agricultural farming community in that way. He's connecting with everyone, pointing them to the creator and that he has testified of himself. There is a God, there is a God, there is a God. Right, Romans 1, that's another one you mark down in your notes. Paul talks about it later, how people have taken what was created, they've rejected that, made their own gods out of living things and non-living things. People have carved gods out of stone and wood and other things, and they have worshiped the creation instead of the creator. So he's pointing them to the creator. It says, verse 18, even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Look at their hearts. He's speaking the truth to them. They were ready a moment ago to barbecue for them, throw a party, give them gifts, and the people have listened to the message they spoke, and still they want to sacrifice to them. It sounds like kids sometimes, right? I have a talk with my kids, not now, but when you were littler. <laughs> talk with the kids. Listen, you know, you get down and you kind of get them like this. You know, your parents maybe, they took your face. They're like, listen to me. And then you begin to give them the speech, the talk, the training. And you're like, you say it all, right? And then you go, okay, got it? And they go, uh-uh. <laughs> Or they go, I'm hungry, I want to go eat. <laughs> right? Isn't it just like that? Paul and Barnabas, they're taking them face to face, explaining this. And then in the end, they're like, all right. And they're like, no, we still want to have the barbecue and sacrifice to you. You guys are gods. They don't get it. Sometimes people don't get it. They have a hearing problem. I mean, they have perfect hearing, but they just don't listen. Listen. 
And so they don't pay attention. It says, then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went right back into the city. Do you guys hear the music that I hear? Something like, dun, 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 Rocky, right? <laughs> That's what I picture here. They stone him to death, drag him out, leave him for dead. He is dead. They're not fools. They're not idiots. They're like, we thought he was dead. No, he's dead. This is a resurrection by the power of God. They surround him and they gather around. They're probably like, oh, Lord, please heal him, touch him, save him. And he gets up. He gets right back up, you know, and just like in a Rocky movie, he's just like, dun, 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 dun. And he just goes right back into that place, right back. I wouldn't do that. I would have just got out of there as fast as I could, as far away from that place as possible. Most of you would have done that, right? Yeah? No? You're like, no. Just me, okay. I'm the chicken, the coward, all right. The rest of you, you're tough. But he, he just goes right back in, and it says the next day he and Barnabas left for Derby. They preached the good news in that city and won a large number of disciples. So courage, again and again, you look through it. If there's one word you want to write over chapter 14, it's courage. Courage. They have courage. They go to these places. They're strengthening the disciples, encouraging them to remain true to the faith. That's what they're encouraging them to do. Stay strong in the Lord. Remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Now, that's not a very perky message. What kind of a talk is that? He is no pep talk kind of a guy, is he? Because that's a down message. <laughs> Hardships, what? How many of us, you know, you thought that the Christian life would be like rides at Disneyland, cotton candy, and fun every single day? I hope nobody lied to you that way. <laughs> the Christian life is tough. And the Lord Jesus said that we would have tribulations in this life, right? We would be tested. There would be trials. There would be heavy things that we go through, and we do go through them. And he said, you know what? He said, they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. But he says, don't worry about it. It's all about me. It's not you. Don't take it personally when you're being beaten for your faith in Christ, when you're being put in prison, when your family's being tortured. He says, don't take it personally. It's me. It's me they want. It's me. And, and that's what Paul understands. There's hardships in the kingdom of God. But as we walk with the Lord, he carries us through those. He helps us to stay strong through them. So they are encouraging the people. And that's what I want to do today. That's just all I want to do. That's why I came back. I haven't come back for four years, and I just wanted to encourage you guys. I wanted to encourage you to remain strong in the Lord, to be true to the faith. There's so much that's fighting for that in each of your lives. There's so much. There are so many temptations, you know. The temptation to just say, you know, it would just be a lot easier. My cousins, they have such an easier life than me. My friends, my family, my coworkers. Sometimes we think that. Sometimes we think, you know, it'd just be a lot easier just to give it up. I'm going to stop standing for this, the word of God, and my faith in Jesus, and I'm just going to go off the rails too. Sometimes we begin to think that way. That's the most heartbreaking thing for me is, you know, being in Japan for 11 years and just coming back every three or four years. The most heartbreaking thing is to come back and find that, oh, you know, this guy or this woman or someone, yeah, they're not walking with the Lord anymore right now. This is what they're into. And you're just like, oh, I 
cannot believe that. That breaks my heart. I, I get into tears. And I know I'm not immune to that. I know that I'm not better than anybody else. It, those are possibilities for us, you know. Only though if we don't remain true to the faith, if we don't stay strong in the Lord, if we don't realize that there are hardships, there are trials and tests, there's no lying about it. We're not talking rides and candy every day, that it's a daily, life is daily. And so we see that encouragement through their lives here. It says, Paul and Barnabas then appointed elders for them in each church, and with prayer and fasting, committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. Paul and his team, they've got to go, but they know that it's important there's leaders that are there to take care of the people, that there are shepherds for the sheep, that there are going to be people faithful to Jesus that can be strong and lead the people. And so he knows it's a spiritual thing. He just doesn't go, hey, you look all right. Yeah, you'll work. You'll, yeah. They seek the Lord through prayer and fasting to select those elders and then commit them to the Lord. And so I pray that you have these types of elders here in this church that are able to care for each of you as well. Faithful men that are filled with the Holy Spirit and meet all of the qualifications of what an elder should be because they are very important, very important. After going through Pisidia, they came into Pamphylia, and when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Attilia. So these places are just the places that they're going back through on their way home. They want to see how people are doing, you know. We were here six months ago, or we were here eight months ago. We want to check in with you. You guys doing good? We want to pray with you. How can we help you? That kind of support and encouragement, it's so, so important. And so, finally, verse 26, from Attilia they sailed back to Antioch, that's Antioch of Syria, where they had started off. That was the first international multicultural church right there in the early church, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. So it's important to notice in verse 26, they completed the work that they were set out to do, that the people had prayed over them, and they sent them out, and they were faithful to it. And for us, we need to be faithful to complete things. Now, I know sometimes in my life I can start things and I don't finish them. You know, sometimes men are more prone to that, right? Men, we got these projects, you know, like changing that light bulb that your wife asked you to change. Been burned out. You haven't done it for a year. <laughs> no, but there's things that we can start and we don't complete them. We don't finish them. And that's not a faithful witness to the Lord. All of us, men and women here, we need to be faithful to complete what the Lord calls us to do. If it's a one-week mission, get it done. If it's a month, if it's a year, whatever it is. If it's for your friend or your family member, whatever it is that we're faithful to it. We don't give up. They didn't give up. They had courage. They depended on the Lord. They were strong in him. He went back right into the city. He wasn't finished. The Lord told him to do that. And so just being faithful, I love that word completed in verse 26. Your other translations might say something a little different, but you want to underline that. that they had now completed. You want to circle that. They completed and so on arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So they have a sharing night or a time to share, and this is so important. And that's why I'm thankful I got to come here today. I get to share with you a little of what Jesus is doing in Japan, 
and it's good for everybody, for the one sharing and those that are listening. And he's there, they're talking about how the Lord opened this door. It was an amazing open door. And sometimes we consider too soon a door closed. That's another lesson that we get out of this. You know, you can try and try and try, and then you go, oh, I think the door's closed. I guess it's closed. And we just give up. <laughs> but if the Lord hasn't closed it and made it clear that it's closed, it's still open. It's still an open door to continue on through. So maybe some of you here today need to redefine what you call an open door of opportunity in mission and ministry. They completed their work and then they came back and shared how that door was open for that whole time and what God did through them. Finally, it says, and they stayed there a long time with the disciples. It's believed up to two to three years of time there in Antioch, the church at Antioch. And so Paul, he knew when to go and move and he knew when to stop, to slow down and to spend time discipling people, training them, equipping them. And that's a good thing. All of that because of a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. All of that because of a dependency on the Holy Spirit. And so we really see the completion of the very first mission of the gospel of Jesus leaving Israel and going into other parts of the world. And so I hope that just in this quick overview of the chapter, you have been able to pull out some of these lessons there and then apply them to your life here and to be encouraged today. If you have felt like quitting, you have felt like giving up, you have felt like, you know, sometimes I wish my mission was on the beach at Maui. Lord, why can't my mission just be there? There's some people, a few of them. I know they're lying down and reading and having a cool drink, but that looks like a good place to do mission. <laughs> you know, sometimes we have that dream. Or the other dreams that I've had, these are just my dreams, you have your own, but you know, you know, where it gets really hard and tough and I'm tired of you know, counseling this situation and this drama and trauma and I'm just like, Lord, could I not just have the Walmart cart mission ministry where you go out and collect them from the parking lot and you bring them back and I get to do that? These are my dreams sometimes without any hassles or problems, no counseling, no drama, just cards, then I can go home. <laughs> That's some pastor's and missionary's dream. <laughs> but the Lord wants us to stay strong in him. He wants you to keep the faith that he has given you, that you have called your own, and remain true to it because it's remaining true to Jesus. And he's coming back, he's promised to return, and we're awaiting that, and the times we live in look like his return is closer than ever, and all of that. But the main point is that we just stay. We stay consistent and faithful, walking with him, and not get sidetracked. That's all I wanna to say to you today. If you don't know Jesus, we want you to know him. He's the purpose of life, to know your creator and his plan of salvation through Jesus. And so I would love to talk with anybody more. If you wanna talk about anything at all, I would love to talk with you. And there will be people here right now after this that would love to talk and pray with anybody. And so do that, be sure to do that. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. And as we've cruised through this journal, 
of the first world mission. We have learned a lot. We have been encouraged. And Lord, we pray that you would just pour out your Holy Spirit freshly upon us now today, that we would have a fresh dependency on you, that we would be tuned into your voice. We wouldn't just be looking at you and then when you're done, uh-huh, okay, got it, and then run off and go do our own thing. Lord, we would walk with you. We would follow you. We would be devoted to you. When we're tempted, we would take the way of escape. Lord, we wouldn't give up. We wouldn't quit, but that we would continue to draw the strength that comes from you by your Holy Spirit. We would be completely filled to overflowing and impact people around us, all around us, for the gospel. And we thank you, Lord, that we have a place, that we have a time, that we have so much to be able to meet together freely like this. Lord, thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you.